out of small Puerto Rico, you have an international corruption scandal involving a Venezuelan banker and Great Britain's prime minister political firm. It's beautiful. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Luis Herrero. Luis is a political consultant based in Puerto Rico who is founder and partner in a company called 303 Digital, who works on digital campaigning for prominent candidates locally and internationally. Luis comes from a prominent political family and knows a lot about politics on his island and elsewhere. He also hosts a daily radio show and co-hosts the leading political podcast in Puerto Rico. Luis has thoughts about how Democrats conduct their outreach to Hispanic voters, among other things. We had a very good conversation about how he came to his version of political entrepreneurship and where he wants to take his career from here. I really enjoyed this one. You should listen. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Luis Herrero of 303 Digital. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Luis, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? So I am a political consultant and news commentator based in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I am also a lawyer. I've been doing professional political consulting since 2011 when I founded my firm 303.digital. Um, through those, what is it, 12 years now, I work in Puerto Rico in all, all sorts of, of races, right? Obviously, governor and, and our congressional seat are the biggest races down in the island. But I've also consulted in Panama, in Mexico, in Costa Rica, in the Dominican Republic, and in different states around the U.S., in Florida, Arizona, New York, Rhode Island, and I'm probably forgetting a, a couple more. I host uh, a daily radio show, afternoon radio show on, on talk radio in Puerto Rico in Radio Isla uh, AM station. And I also co-host with my partner, uh, Jonathan Lebron, Puerto Rico's top political news podcast. Uh, it's called Puestos Pal Problema, and we publish twice a week. You sound like you might be a busy person. I am a very busy person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I understand you grew up in San Juan. Yeah, born and raised. Yeah, and uh, what was that? What was that like? I've been there a few times, but what what was it like growing up there? So I I, I had a very happy childhood and a, and a privileged childhood. I I was born into a solid uh, middle class family. Uh, my only real struggle, and it wasn't a big struggle because my mom was so great that that, that she was a single mom. My parents divorced when I was eight. And uh, I was lucky to have uh, an extended family, like my, my grandparents, my, my aunt, who's like my second mom. So they, they took care of, of me and my two brothers. And I had a, a great a great childhood. I was also born into politics. So a, a quick recap out of, out of my family background. My grandfather was a senator for, for my party, the Popular Democratic Party, which is a Puerto Rican party. And my uncle was governor of Puerto Rico. He was governor from... 2004 to 2008. So basically, I was born in 1983, and my uncle ran for state rep in 1992. So my first campaign was when I was nine years old, right? And the campaign headquarters was, was my grand, grandmother's house. I went there every day after school, right? Because she, she took care of us. My mom had to work. And uh, so I have very early childhood memories of like... Um, 
uh, doing like flyers. Uh, while my uh, my uncle spoke at the at a, at a rally, I was going through the crowd, dropping flyers about where, where to vote and stuff like that. Like putting posters on. We call them here paquines, like posters on on, on electric poles on, on their bridges, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so so politics was like uh put into my my veins like like into my into my into my bottle uh since the crib right so so just so you know when i've talked to people who were born in political families like mitch landrew in in louisiana um it, it's like any trade you learn a lot about it by being in the middle of it what do you think you really picked up by being so close to candidacies from the inside so I, I knew early on, very early on, because so we have elections down here every four years. So I worked in some capacity in my uncle's company in 92, 96, 2000, 2004. So I did it in elementary school, in intermediary school, in high school, in college. So I, I had like those different uh, perspectives. I knew very early on that I, I loved doing it. And after I graduated college and law school and tried working as a lawyer, I, I, I soon realized that I... I really hated it. And, and compared to politics, I, I didn't have the passion for it. And second, I learned early on the importance of connections and growing a network, right? So I saw the way my grandfather went into a meeting in some rural town in Puerto Rico, like two hours away from San Juan, and he had personal relationships with with. with political leaders from from the area because when he was a senator 20 years late before blah 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 and then he introduces my son he's running for state rep and I I, I I I caught on to that very early on and politics was really a family business like we we did like we we all uh, got into a band and we were uh, we went around the island uh following either our uncle or he if he was in one part of the island we were in a different part of the island doing doing other stuff um so early on I also picked up that um, there are very few places like a political campaign where you can learn to do like everything because, you know, political campaigns, they have a, an, an infinite to-do list and there's always something to do. So, I mean, and this is way later in life. My first website, well, it was on a political campaign. My first press release, I wrote it for a political campaign. My first photo that was published in a newspaper, I took it for a political campaign. I've never studied photography, neither web design or, or whatever. Just you did it because there's no one else to do it. It's an integral part of who I am, and also I, I'm, I'm very lucky that I've made it into a career. Yeah, I guess I would imagine also just watching a relative campaign or or manage a political conversation or you know just doing the nitty-gritty of relationships. You must pick up, like, here's the moves you make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. So... Uh, why did you go to law school? Okay, so yeah, my, a political family, but also a, a, a legal family. So my uncle was a politician, but my grandfather and my aunt, they had a, a small family law firm, right? And so I knew that I worked with them summers, I do some stuff, and I was a Boy Scout, for example. I, I love like the law merit badges and all that stuff. I took like a, an AP law class in high school, and I loved it. And I really, really loved going to law school. My three years in law school were some of my best years. One of my best friends are from law schools, right? So it, it was fun. I like uh, like the law, legal arguments, stuff like that. And so it was an easy, easy uh, way to do this. And also, obviously, I cannot lie to you. I, I, I seriously thought about running for politics one day. It would be not so hard for me because of the name of the family and whatever. But that changed uh, later, and I, 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 I decided that knowing knowing how hard it is to be a politician and how hard it is on your family, I, I basically decided I'm never doing this. But uh, at that moment, it fit. Like I went to school for economics, I did my economic bachelor, and then we went to law school, both here in Puerto Rico, University of Puerto Rico. I said, yeah, so I'll do the law school thing, and if I can at some moment jump into politics, I'll, I'll just jump into politics. But yeah, it, it, it didn't happen that way. What's the sort of founding story for your firm? You said it was around 2011. Okay, so this is a story. This is the story. It's a, it's a nice story. Okay, so I was working, I, I graduated law school 2008, and I was hired by Puerto Rico's second biggest law firm as an associate, right? This is like 100 lawyers at, at the firm, like 20 partners and 80 associates, junior partners, etc. 
I was in the litigation department and I started working there. It was a year. I did okay. The second year, I was hating it. My evaluation was uh, subpar. I got a, a, a poor bonus. And basically, my the law partner, the litigation had told me, you must really look deeply within yourself and, and think, is this for you? Is it the big firm life for you? And he basically told me, I mean, we're not firing you, but, you know, there's no future here for you. But at the same time, this was 2010, I think so. Yeah, 2010. End of 2010. A very good friend of mine out of high school who was a, a software developer and an engineer, he got into politics in my uncle's campaign in 2008 as the digital head. Because he was an engineer, he did like the websites and all that stuff. And we were very close. And out of that campaign, he started working for a couple of different politicians. Like he worked for a couple of mayors and he had a contract with a couple of senators. And that's, he basically did the websites and this is 2008. So there's barely social media. I think there's Facebook, a little bit of YouTube, stuff like that. And he's working with a state senator who in 2010 tells him, hey, I'm going to run for governor. His name is Alejandro Garcia Padilla, and I want you to do the digital thing. My friend is called Ricardo Alfaro. He now lives in DC. And, uh, and Ricardo calls me and says, hey, so Alejandro, the state said, told me he's going to run for governor, and he wants me to do the digital thing. Now it's 2011, so, so like the internet is very important. And he said, do it with me. And at the same time he's telling me this, I'm getting this horrible evaluation at my law firm. And I said, you know what, Ricardo, let's do it. And he got 60% of the firm. I did four, I got 40% of the firm. And we we created the documents, whatever. And we started. And our first client was Alejandro's campaign for governor. That was 2010, 2011. I, I tell the numbers because I want people to know. So I, I made, in 2010, at the law firm, I made $60,000. I was 26 years old, basically. In 2011, I was 27 years old. I got married in 2011. And I only made $23,000 out of the firm. But I was so happy. <laughs> My wife wasn't that happy, but I was so, so happy. <laughs> and I never looked back. I never looked back. So yeah, that's that's the that's the the myth, the founding myth of the story. And actually in that campaign, that's where I met Matt, our, our friend that recommended me for the podcast. Because Matt Matt McMillan. Was our digital consultant. Matt McMillan, our yeah. boss maker, was our digital consultant. And we made a, a, a very strong friendship friendship that lasts until today. And a business partnership as well. That is a nice story. Um tell me a little bit about so my understanding is your firm grew over time, and it's not just the two of you. What what is the what is the path the firm took over the years? Okay, so uh, after we we won that election, Alejandro became governor in 2012, and my my business partner Ricardo decided to go into the administration. He decided to go work at the governor's mansion. So I I bought his 60. percent It took me a little bit to pay him off. We we, we got that settled, and uh, I brought in a new partner. His name is Armando Valdez, who was the communication director for the campaign. And he was my partner for three years. Afterwards, I also bought his part. I stayed as, as uh, I bring my brother as a partner because, I mean, if I have a firm, I need to have a partner. So I, I had my brother like a little bit as a partner, but it was basically a, a symbolic thing. And then in 2017, I decided to promote two partners, my two oldest. Uh, they were my employees, but they were basically my colleagues. I had uh, so right now we're three partners. It's me is uh, Dr. Pedro Valle Javier. Pedro is a very old friend that I actually met, I think, in 2011 in a Star Wars fan club. Yeah, our first meeting was at Pedro's house, and I brought Pedro into the dark side because he was—he's a Pedro has a PhD in, in literature. He's an English professor in one of the colleges here, and he was also a journalist. He's been doing like digital content all his life, and he's a workhorse. Like he's the dude—he—he—he he, he, he puts in the hours. And I also promoted my other partner, which is uh, Marilyn Baez. Marilyn is a lawyer as well, but she's also a, a, a PR professional. And she's actually a National Geographic featured travel photographer. Like she has like three three published uh, photos from her travels in National Geographic. And she she's a, an interesting story because so in 2013, we won the election. I was transitioning from just being a two-man firm into having a, a contract with the government that like like growing. I was working out of my aunt's law office. Remember, I told you my family, the family law office, because I, we didn't still, we, we still didn't have an office. So I was working from there. It was like January 2013. The new administration was just uh, getting settled. And Marilyn comes into my aunt's law office to get an interview because uh, Marilyn's uh, parents were like from na uh, next door neighbors to my to my aunt. 
And my aunt tells me, so I have nothing to offer her. I'm just taking the, the interview as a courtesy. We don't we don't need a new a new lawyer. Uh, 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 but do you want to sit in into the interview? I said, yeah, I'll sit in into the interview. It doesn't matter. And I was seeing her resume, and, I, and she had a, a marketing major. Like, she did a marketing bachelor before going to law school. And I saw her. I, I like her aptitude. I, I like what, what she had to say. And after the interview was over, um, I told her, hey, I don't know if you're interested in this, but if you don't want to be a lawyer, <laughs> I'm starting this firm. I'm looking for 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 young and entrepreneurial people. And she was my my first employee or my second employee, I think. And yeah, my first employee was my developer who's still with me as well. And and yeah, so she became an integral part. And she's now accounts director. Like she runs traffic, basically. She makes sure everything gets done. She's invaluable to the firm. And, and I promoted her to partner as well in 2017. And that's it. Right now, between employees and contractors, we're a staff around, I think, 10. Yeah, we're 10 people right now. Who have you worked for beyond who you've mentioned? Okay, so in uh, Puerto Rico, I've done the uh, go- uh, Governor Alejandro. In 2016, I did, I think, 17 races, uh, a couple of mayors, a couple of state trips. And in 2020, I did... From full service to just buying ads, uh, I think 28 races um, here in Puerto Rico. I did the, the biggest highlight in 2020 was that we did uh, five uh, municipalities, five major races, and we won the five. We won all five. And my my proudest moment in Puerto Rican politics was uh, in 2020 when I won a, a city called Aguadilla, which is on the northwest uh, side of, of Puerto Rico, a city who who my party hadn't won in. 32 years, I think, and who was a very, very strong uh, stronghold of the other party. And we won that seat by 51 votes. So that's that's like my main error, like like the biggest thing. Like, uh, so, so, yeah, in Mexico, I did the governor's race in 2018 in Veracruz State. That I did that with Matt. Uh, I did Guadalajara Mayor, uh, Guadalajara City in 2018. Uh, in Costa Rica, we worked a pr- presidential primary for the Partido Liberación Nacional, I think that was 2016. In Panama, we did uh, PRD, which is Partido Revolucionario Democrático uh, Presidential in 2013. And I've worked in the states for different groups, mostly Democratic aligned groups uh, for Hispanic campaigns. We also were the founding firm of Dominicanos USA, which is uh, an advocacy uh, group in New York and in Rhode Island that uh, is nonpartisan. They work to to register second-generation Dominican-Americans uh, who are American citizens and can vote. Uh, so we were with them for the first three years of, of their of their existence. And then they, they decided to go with someone on the ground there, which made all the sense in the world, right? And that's mostly where we've been. There's the other thing that being in Puerto Rico, we have elections only every four years, right? And so it's very hard to be a full-time political consultant. So this situation on the ground forces us to have commercial clients so i would say like 65 percent of our invoicing right now it's it's private clients and we have all sorts of clients uh, we have like a payment processor we have a cannabis manufacturer we have an import business a trading partner we have um, the biggest wine bodegas in the island um, we have couple of nonprofits, all that stuff. And basically what we do is what we learn in politics, we apply to commercial clients. I mean, I, I can't I can't tell you how many times I want a client just by saying, we'll buy the Google searches of your competition. And they say, can you do that? Yeah, of course we can do that. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've like sold a, a close to deal just doing that. And they say, yeah, we do that in politics all the time. I mean, if you're not buying your competitors keywords, then you're doing it wrong, right? Who would you love to work for that you haven't been able to work for? A, a presidential campaign in Mexico. That would be my whichever party. No, I don't care. Party or, or candidate. I just would love to do that. I think it would be like, I think Mexico is the biggest Latin American country, 110 million people. Uh, and that would be like the pinnacle, I think, of, a, of where I, I can aspire. I would even prefer that to a presidential in the U.S. Has it been hard or easy to get to break into the u.s market it's been particularly hard it's hard it's it's i know it's a very small industry and i'm an active member of the american association of political consultants like i go almost every year to a conference and i know uh, plenty of people and i've gotten 
every cycle I get more business and I get business earlier. Like the first time I ever got business, I think it was in 2014 for something in Florida against Rick Scott. He was governor then. And that was like two weeks before the election. And then in 2016, we got something like a month before the election. And then in 2018, two months. 2020, what, something like three months. And now in 2022, we're doing something like for six months before the election. But it's hard. And also, like, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this on this podcast, but Democrats are not doing a great job targeting Hispanic voters, and they haven't been doing a great job in, in many cycles now. It's always like a an add-on, like something they, they think of at the end, and they don't think it through. So I don't know how much business is there for someone out of San Juan, Puerto Rico. Maybe if I was out of D.C. and I, I got a more, like a, maybe some more connections in Congress, and I could get some congressional races, stuff like that. Maybe that would make it a little bit easier, but it, it's it's hard. If you talk to, for example, the consultants of, of Mexican President AMLO, they're called Oristica. They're fantastic. They're, they're, they're so good. I mean, it's super hard for them to as well to get business in, in the U.S. This is the reality of our business. So Americans invented political consultant, consulting, right? So why would they bring in foreign consultants? And I know I'm a U.S. citizen. I know Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, but I'm a foreign consultant when all is said and done, right? And... I can understand a campaign director or a finance manager in a congressional district in Illinois, I don't know, that has 13% Latino population, say, why would I hire this guy out of San Juan if I have five other guys here in Chicago? So, yeah. What do you think the Democrats are missing besides starting too late or doing as an add-on in terms of of what's being said and to whom it's being targeted, et cetera? I would say two things. First, they are not building communities. They are not building communities. And I use the example of talk radio. Like talk radio, Spanish talk radio is very important in all Spanish-speaking countries. It's important in Spain, it's important in Mexico, it's important in the DR, and it's it's important for Hispanic uh, diasporas. It doesn't matter where you are in the U.S., if you're majority Mexican or majority Central American or majority Puerto Rican, majority Cuban, Dominican. I can guarantee you that likely voters are probably listening to talk radio in Spanish. If you're a Dominican in New York, from a Dominican DJ or, or spokesperson in New York, or from the Dominican Republic per se, because you're listening on your phone or you're listening to a podcast or whatever. And if you look at Cuban Americans, for example, Republicans have been doing Cuban talk radio for like decades, decades. I'm not saying 10 years, I'm I'm saying 60 years. And if you look at Puerto Rican conservatives in Florida, they basically look at what the Cubans are doing in talk radio and they copy it and they put it to a Puerto Rican audience with Puerto Rican issues. And there's no Democratic counterpart. There is zero, absolutely zero. There is nothing. And I give you an example, Univision, which is, I think, America's second largest Spanish-speaking network, is selling all of it. It's getting out of the radio business, and it's selling all of its stations across the U.S. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, our right-wing Hispanic group bought, like, four stations in Florida. And they were selling them for, like, a million bucks, $800,000. So it's not like you don't need $100 million to do this, right? The last time I checked and read up on the issue, there's been absolutely zero acquisitions from democratic or progressive aligned groups of Univision radio stations around the around the country. So they're not building community. And second, and this is getting a little bit better, but it's a long ways off. We talk Spanish, but we are not the same community. We're all Hispanics, right? But if you're Salvadorian or Guatemalan or Colombian or Mexican, your issues are very different either if you're Cuban or Puerto Rican or Venezuelan. And for example, maybe you cannot make the different accents, but if I'm Puerto Rican and you target me with a voiceover in a Cuban accent, oh, it's going to piss me off. It's not only going to be uh, not effective, it's going to piss me off because I'm going to say, why are you trying to get my boat using a Cuban accent? And if you ask a Cuban, they will tell you the same thing. They will tell you exactly the same thing. And for example, it doesn't happen as often anymore, 
But I have seen campaigns who have spent significant amount of money talking about immigration to Puerto Rican voters. I mean, there are some Puerto Rican voters who have solidarity with their Latin brethren and and, are, and immigration is important, but Puerto Ricans are American citizens, so we don't have an immigration issue. So that's where I see it. I don't want to be as pessimistic as other people are. I think there are some progress in some areas, but yeah, there's a, it's a long ways off. For example, I, ha I have a great idea. I have tried to get through some people with this. The Puerto Rican diaspora, and I know this from my podcast, half of my audience is from the U.S. The top newspaper in Puerto Rico is called El Nuevo Día. ElNuevoDía.com has millions of impressions every day. Campaigns out of Orlando should buy El Nuevo Día.com impressions from traffic coming out of their districts. It's ridiculously easy, right? I'm, I'm sure you get some programmatic, I'm sure, but if you talk to them, you're going to get like premium placement. You're probably going to get a couple of decent articles like... And you can do that with the Guatemalan newspaper or with the Mexican newspaper or, I mean, you can do it with all the countries. And it's, it's just a little bit of think outside the box and don't treat it as an accessory to the campaign. That makes sense. And it, uh, it does seem like that pitch ought to open the door for you. And maybe it has a few times, but it maybe it should more so. It has. It has, but... Like the campaigns I've been able to pitch to don't have the huge budget to make like a, a Hispanic outreach program feasible, right? Or, I mean, like I'm working for a campaign right now when they told me the app budget, I told them, I mean, okay, but remember we're running in this high cost area and we're running against this guy, the senator campaign, this governor campaign. So, so yeah. There's a lot of talk right now about uh, the a rise in the percentage of Hispanic people in the U.S. Uh, going Republican. I don't know how real it is broadly, but it's certainly real in certain areas. Any take on what's going on there and what what ought to be done about it from a Democratic perspective? So from the way I've seen it and the research I've, I've been able to, to, to review, it's mostly a, a, a male problem, especially a young male problem. And in that sense, it reflects not only on Hispanic males, but on American males in general, right? So like young males are, are trending Republican over Trump and populism, etc. We should target abuelas and moms, Hispanic abuelas and Hispanic moms, and get them to talk to their sons. That would be my advice. And actually, I, I'm trying to do that in, in some places. Uh, and if we are able to build those networks in the long term, we can probably get to those youth with college opportunities, real uh, training, healthcare, like how you say, how, how American consultants say, kitchen issue tables and, and basically quality of life issues. But trying to get them to join in social causes or etc. I don't think that works. And also, hmm, I'm sensing an opening with that group with regards to weapons control, because although most Hispanic countries, including Puerto Rico, are like violent, there's a lot of crime and real gun violence. In no Latin American country or in Puerto Rico, you, you're going to get shot at the mall or at the movie theater. So I think there's also an opening there with, with gun control and I'm interested to see with regard to abortion. I don't know. I haven't seen any numbers yet. Uh, we're going to try some messages for a couple of clients uh, this cycle on abortion. And we're, obviously, we're going to target women. We're going to see how, how it reacts with men as well, especially young men. This political moment in the United States is uh, still quite a good amount about Trump and Trumpism and the polarization between the two parties and whether or not he'll make a comeback and how people view him just really splits our society. How is that playing out in Puerto Rico? And how is politics in Puerto Rico different than politics on the mainland? Uh, no one cares at all. I mean, this is not a, a concern for the average Puerto Rican. I talked about it in my program because I love the topic. And also because since no one else talks about it, I'll say, well, I'm going to see whoever is interested. I'm going to try to get that audience. But also because I'm super mega concerned <laughs> that, that we're seeing the end times. So like, I, I, I take it seriously. But Puerto Rican politics 
it's Latin American politics. The average Puerto Rican loves being an American citizen. The average Puerto Rican likes the U.S. and doesn't see the U.S. as an enemy. But Puerto Ricans are Puerto Ricans and they care about Puerto Rico. I mean, if you ask the average Puerto Rican who the senator from New York is, they don't they don't care and they won't know. They know Trump and they know Biden, obviously. They see it on TV and whatever. But it's it's not an issue here. Tell me how you got into the game of radio and podcasting. That's an interesting story. So my mom, who is a, a professional counselor, and she was a college counselor for many years, she, she told me early in my life that I should study communications. I didn't do it. I didn't follow that advice. But I've always had an aptitude for communications. This good friend of mine, Ricardo Alfaro, who was my first partner, in 2005, he launched a technology podcast called The I Wannabes. It was like an Apple-based technology podcast. It, the episodes are still up. And around episode 40, I convinced them to do it in Spanish and to take me on as the fourth host. And we did this podcast for like 120 episodes. So it was like four years. And it was a lab for us. We did like a live stream before Facebook Live where we use Ustream. We did uh, like tape recording. We bought an ad for Best Buy. We did different stuff. It was very, very fun. Like we did, we, we had like a parody or a song before each episode and whatever. And I got the, the broadcasting bug. That happened and uh, we launched the business with the campaign and the podcast basically it died. One of the hosts got a job at Google in Argentina. So he moved to Buenos Aires and the other partner got a job at at and The other host got a job at at and So the podcast just died. But in 20, I think 15, my now uh, co-host, podcasting co-host, Jonathan Lebron, was uh, launching a digital news outlet for one of the newspapers in Puerto Rico. And they wanted to do a politics podcast. And he knew me. He had listened to the podcast, the Tony podcast before. He told me, hey, you want to be like the popular? You want to represent your party in this podcast? We're going to have a, a PNP, a, a member of the other party. I'm going to be the moderator. And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And we started doing that podcast in 2015, 2016 for the election. We got all the governor's candidates. It was really fun. And it was it grew. I, it wasn't super popular, but it, it had an audience. And in 2017, Jonathan got fired from El Calce. He was laid off. Um, and he said, yo, so let's do the podcast on our own now. And we launched in 2017. And it grew little by little, little by little until 2019, in the summer of 2019, when Puerto Rico had like a, like a velvet revolution and we got rid of our governor. And so during the summer of 2019, there was a chat with the governor and the senior, his senior advisors, where they basically insulted every journalist in Puerto Rico. They insulted fat people. They insulted women. And that got leaked. It was 900 pages of a Telegram chat. And that basically created a firestorm that lasted, I think, six weeks of popular demonstrations and marches and whatever until the governor resigned in July 19th, if I'm not mistaken. And our podcast became like the daily narration of what was happening. And it grew exponentially. And Jonathan, my co-host, he actually had a source that told us 10 days before the first pages of the Telegram chat leaked that there was a Telegram chat running around and it was very dangerous for the governor or whatever. So we said that in episode 94. That, that basically uh, blew us uh, off, the, uh, off the roof. And, and now on a good month, we do over 100,000 downloads and uh, 30,000 unique uh, users. So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a nice audience. And we have been very lucky and very successful monetizing it using uh, Patreon. We create a Patreon community and it's fantastic. And, and it's a, a real income for both uh, Jonathan and me. That is quite awesome. What That, that is separate? From the radio. yeah, that is separate from the firm. Yeah, from the radio and from the firm. Yeah, and what's the what is the radio show? How okay? So the re, the radio show actually radio is the endeavor that that takes me the more the most time and makes me the less money. But I do it because I I really love it and I think also like I'm getting so much experience. So I started doing a Sunday show, a Sunday AM radio show. I probably had like a hundred people listening to me two hours on Sundays. I started doing it after Hurricane Maria because I had a good friend who was a radio producer. And after Hurricane Maria, there was no internet. There was no 
power. So basically it was like battery radio. That's how people got informed. So radio stations start going 24-7. So they ran through all their talent and they ran through all the hosts. And I told him, hey, if you want me, I can do a couple of hours on Sundays. And he gave me like four hours every Sunday. Like Hurricane Maria was September 20th. So I did like October, November, I think until December, four hours. And the the owner of the radio station, like what I did, and he offered me like a two-hour regular slot on Sundays. And I did that for like two years, and it sucked. <laughs> Imagine losing your Sunday, like try to, to do two hours on Sunday. I had a... a, a a very uh, great group of friends that sacrificed with me and like one did an hour with me, other did an hour, but but it was a great school and a great experience. And after two years of doing it, obviously for no pay, a weekly noon slot opened and the radio owner offered me the, the slot to me and we did that for one year. And then the prime time uh, slot at 5 p.m. drive time slot opened and he, he promoted me there. So I've been doing... It's basically, I would say, Puerto Rico's third AM radio station, but it's particularly strong in the metro area, in San Juan, uh, et cetera. And it's also a radio station that it's listened by a lot of uh, other journalists and other commentators. So it punches be- over its weight on, on influence, right? And I love it. I freaking love it. I, I do. It's, it's only an hour. And I basically, I strive to make it very different. Like, I, I try to talk about topics that no one else uh, covers. I have different voices that are not anywhere else i try to not be pedantic or um, i try not to be uh also like judgmental uh i try not to scream not to not to be angry I, and I, I really love it i i really love it but it takes a lot of time because basically i go on the air at 4 55 so i at at 3 45 at the latest i have to be on my computer just writing down the show because I, I do like a full outline because it's it's live radio right if we if we screw up here you can stop the recording and we can start again but if live radio you're on the on the on the line wire with no net it's you and the audience and if you screw up and there's a silence it's you and the audience and it doesn't matter if it's a hundred people or a hundred thousand people it's the same so but yeah you must get a fair amount of sort of adrenaline from that i think so like I always like I, I'm after the show. I'm always ready to like uh, I can work out or run a mile or something like that because I yeah. And I still dread it. Like I still get very nervous before going on the air. I still do. It's 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 interesting. I don't get as nervous doing the podcast. Like I do a podcast. It's I just turn on the computer. But the podcast is a conversation with a friend, right? The radio show is like a show where I'm informing people. I have a responsibility like to to make it. I don't know. It's different. It feels higher stakes for you. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think of you as a kind of a political entrepreneur to some extent, you know, with your business and and kind of the portfolio of activities. What do you think you've learned about entrepreneurship in that space from doing all this? So I've learned, uh, I am a very, um, hmm. So the thing about politics is that you, if, if you don't move, you die. In general, in entrepreneurship, you have to be moving constantly and trying new things and not be afraid of failure. I also try to create a, a good uh, an atmosphere in my workplaces as I can. I try to lead by example. I try to not... Uh, not create toxic environments. I, I am very proud that most of my staff has been me, with me for years. I have a very low turnover. I, my, my, like I told you, my programmer is still with me. My partner, Marilyn, started with me in 2013. Pedro started in 2014. My art director and, and head of art department, she's with, been with me since 2016. And she came to us out of college. So she, she's basically been only with us. I'm very proud of that. And that's strange. And I'm, I'm, I'm the reputation I have on the podcast. It's against completely against what I'm going to say here. But I'm not that uh, money driven. That's not my main motivation. Like I, I value more freedom. And I think I'm so lucky to do what I can. In Spanish, we say lo que me da la gana. Like, like whatever I want. And that's so, so important to me that I, I, I protect that above else. Like I, after the law firm, I was pretty sure I never want to have a boss again. I have clients and some clients are your bosses, right? I think, but, but I mean, you can fire clients and you can't fire your boss. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that basically what I, I value the most is doing whatever the hell I, I want to do. You mentioned that you decided 
early on that you would never be candidate for office. Is that something that that door might open up for you again down the road with, I mean, you now have a name for yourself and no, nah, I, I would, I would love to be like the chief of staff for, for a governor or like the secretary of transportation or something like I would do that job. I would love to, to do a stint in public service, but running for office, I won't do it. And I, my wife would probably divorce me as well, but, um, my uncle was, prosecuted and, and he, he got a no, a no guilty verdict in, in federal court. It was a complete political hack job and we can debate it in later. But that experience basically really affected my family and affected me personally. And it, I'm not going to say traumatized me, but it basically made me say, no, I'm never going to be in the spotlight because, and I tell my clients this, I say, are you ready for everything you have ever done in your life to be known? Are you ready for this? If you're not ready, don't do this. And I just don't want to go through that personally. I am a public figure. I have a radio show, right? So I understand that I have I, I have to, my, my private business can become public business, but it's not the same. And you don't have anyone out to get you specifically, out to beat you. Exactly, exactly. Pouring money, resources, and hours into, into destroying you. What should I have asked you that I haven't? So I'm turning 40 in, in next year, 39 in, in three weeks and 40 next year. And I understand now when my my mom and my aunt and my, my uncles told me that uh, the most important thing is family. And yeah, so I'm feeling very strongly about uh, making memories with my family. I, I don't have kids at the moment, but I have a big family and I want to like do more stuff with my cousins and and get to know them better they're all adults now like the youngest one is a senior in 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 high school so because we're 18 uh cousins out of herrero side so so yeah what would you like to see change in puerto rico politically in the law or in how politics is conducted i would like i would like puerto rican politics to be more professional and i would like puerto rican politicians to be more hardworking. Is that not the way it is right now? Yeah. I'm sure it, it happens in most democracies, but it's a lot of empty egos and and attention seekers and, as Trump would say, low IQ people. <laughs> <laughs> is there a politician that you admire, particularly in Puerto Rico or elsewhere? I admire AMLO. I'm a Mexican president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. I don't particularly admire his politics, but I admire his political skills. He's fantastic. I love all my clients, and if I don't love them, I don't work with them. I would say my most promising client is a major here in, in Puerto Rico in a small town called Aguada. He's only 33 years old. He's a lawyer and engineer, and he's all than intelligent and and, and, and He's so hardworking, like he never stops. And I see him, I see him doing great things. It's hard to admire politicians where you work with them, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> they're just people. Yeah. They're just people, right? Yeah, they're just people. Yeah. I, I've heard a couple people say that the turnout in Puerto Rico is much higher than the turnout of Puerto Ricans in the United States. Is that true? Yeah. Do, can you explain why? Okay, let's let's go through a couple of things. So Puerto Rican politics are more akin to to very hardcore sports fans or very hardcore civil war factions. But that has gone down with the decades. And the same problem of of people just turning off politics that you experienced in the US, we experience here. So yeah, Puerto Rican turnout used to be like 80% of registered voters, but in 2020 Obviously, there was a pandemic as well, and we're not voting from home, and all that stuff is not at all as advanced or as available here as it is in most states. But I think uh, participation this 2020 was under 60%. It could have been like 58%. So we have a, a real problem. Where I think Puerto Ricans in the States are alike to Puerto Ricans here is they're way more concerned about Puerto Rican politics than about U.S. politics, even if they live in Orlando. They care way more about what's happening in San Juan than whatever is happening in Tallahassee. And I think it happens with all with all Latin diasporas and probably with all diasporas. I don't know if you see, if you 
Paul Ukrainians or or I don't know Latvians. Yeah, it's depending on what generation you are, I guess. Yeah, uh, exactly, exactly, exactly. Correct, correct. That's true. I think I saw something about the last governor being arrested recently. What's going on there? Okay, so this is a very interesting story that it's full of twists and turns and has at the center of it an international political consultant. So remember that governor I told you about that was fired by the people? He, he got uh, run out of office in the summer of 2019. So he, under the Puerto Rican constitution, he, he gets to be replaced by the state secretary, the state department secretary. But that state department secretary was part of the chat so he was also fired. He had resigned before. So it fell upon our attorney general, which was a woman called Wanda Vasquez, to become governor. She was a career prosecutor. She had never been a politician nor, nor a candidate. So she got into office in 2019. And in her first interview, she said, I am not running for re-election. I am not doing it. Perfect. No problem. But then some very powerful individuals got access to her and basically convinced her to run for governor. And in the wedding of one of these individuals, she was seated next to a Venezuelan banker who had an international bank here in Puerto Rico. His name is Julio Herrera Bellutini. And he was, he's based out of London. And Mr. Herrera Bellutini basically asked the governor to fire the local regulator, the local banking regulator, uh, who was doing an audit of his bank, and to replace him with someone of his choosing. In exchange for that, he would hire a firm out of London, a political consultative firm, and they would basically, he would create a super PAC that would be run by that firm and he would ensure her election. And as that was said, it happened. And it turns out that the, the firm is called CT Group out of London and they are Boris Johnson's firm, like they are the Conservative Party firm. And one of the partners was, who was fired, was removed from the firm in, in, in May 2022. They're basically running one of the hopefuls to, to replace Boris Johnson right now. What's the name of her? She's one of the female candidates. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so out of Puerto Rico, here we go, of Liz Trust. They're basically running Liz, Liz Trust campaign route to EPM of, of, of the United Kingdom. Out of small Puerto Rico, you have an international corruption scandal involving a Venezuelan banker and Great Britain's prime minister political firm. It's beautiful. <laughs> it sounds like the fodder for quite a bit of your political podcast there. It's a great time to have a daily radio show on a political podcast. Let me tell you that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> where do you see you taking your career? If this is where you are approaching 40, where do you want to be approaching 60? I would, I would like to get out of political consultant uh, earlier rather than later. The bad thing about political consulting is that it's, it's not a product you can easily replicate, right? And if I get the client, then the client is, expects me to do the work or to be present or whatever. So it's hard to, to uh, and it's also a lot of work. And I would like to basically either have my own media company in Spanish or something around those lines. I would like to keep exploring like the media side of, of things and, and see where I can take that. It seems like your show ought to, I mean, you save a lot of listeners in the U.S. Have you thought about an English language version? I can do something in English, though. The problem with doing English is that the 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 market is already saturated. Like, there are millions of podcasts in English, and there are probably less than 100,000 podcasts in Spanish. But it's what you're talking about specifically. There can't be that many. Yeah, but I, I would like to do other stuff, not necessarily related to politics. Like, I could do narrative uh real true crime stories in spanish and or stuff like there there are there are proven podcast concepts that are already popular in english that no one is doing in spanish right so stuff like that like like not necessarily uh pigeonhole myself in politics what about those uh stations that are for sale I mean, if you have a couple of million dollars, let's talk. If either you, either you or anyone listening uh, wants to talk about that, I would, I would really be interested in talking about that. Yeah, of course. You think you could make something of it? I think so. Yeah. What would you do? And if 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 uh, if the offer is right, I would, I, I can basically. I'm talking here stupid things in the air, but I could drop everything. I just do that. I don't know what I would do. I would, I would try to do everything at once. Like I would try to get on the air six concepts, different concepts in the first six months and see what sticks. 
and just experiment and try to see what works. Somebody, somebody listening must want to make this happen. That's a pretty interesting offer. Let's think about this, for example. There is a professional soccer football league in every Latin American country. There is one. And I'm sure if there, are, there are Mexican soccer league podcasts, but there are probably none. Or there are none that are well produced and marketed out of the States. And the America has millions of fans in the U.S. Millions, millions of fans. So yes, that's just one place. For example, I have my, my politics show. I'm sure I could, if I can do like an open audition in, I don't know, in, I'm not going to say El Salvador, in Colombia. I say, I'm looking for three guys or two guys and a girl or two girls and a guy that want to talk Colombian politics. And I'm going to fund this weekly podcast for a year. And I can pay very little ca- and see if it works, right? Because I, I feel, although there's more competition than before, and there are a couple of real and good for example there's a, a hispanic media company called futuro media who's doing great podcasts but they're doing them for us hispanics and in english they're fantastic but they're they're in english there's a lot of uh leeway there to to go uh and and create like a spanish media company starting with podcasting and then see where you can take that because if you do a original podcast you can then try and sell them to make a series or a movie or i don't know right you can you the sky's the limit. Well, that's, uh, I think, the mind of an entrepreneur there. And uh, I, I, I'm going to follow your career and see what happens. Luis, it's an uh, honor to talk to you. Is there anything else you want to say? The honor is mine. I, uh, I've i tried to get uh, NGPM band a couple of times down here, but it's never, never been possible to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not any more uh, an owner there, but... Uh, I thought that they did have it down there at one point. You know why it hasn't worked? It's not a technical issue. Uh, your product is great. It's because since Puerto Rican parties are not aligned with Democrats, like there are Democrats in my party and there are Democrats in the pro-statehood party. My party is not pro-statehood. When we talk with NGP representatives, they told us, you know, if you give us your data, if other Democratic campaigns wants the data, they're going to have access to it. And I said, no, I don't want anyone from the prostate party to have my data. So it, it was always a, a deal killer. So that's interesting. You see how different uh, politics in Puerto Rico are versus the states. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you giving me a little window into that and into your career and life. So thank you. That was Luis Herrero. He is at 303.digital. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.